Hi, and welcome to the latest installment of our Spotlight and Alternative series, where we look at some of the key issues and trends across alternative investments. Today, we're going to be looking at one of the preeminent issues uh, that's been a focus area over the last few years in ESG. Delighted to be joined by Andrew Farmer, who's a director in our Sustainable Futures practice. So Andrew, do you, do you want to give us a small bit of background on yourself just to kind of level set? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first and foremost, thanks for having me in. Um, so by way of background, I started my career in investment banking within the M&A vertical uh, and then moved over to institutional investment management. Um, I have been a part of hedge funds, venture capital funds, and most recently was with a global investment consultant. Okay, okay. So a little bit different to your normal uh, KPMG qualified accountant. You've got the kind That's of real, right. re real world experience. Um, I suppose that maybe just the first topic to touch on is that real world experience. I mean, across alternatives, what are you seeing as kind of the key key kind of trends or, or issues uh, with ESG? How are people kind of dealing with it? Where, where are people on their journeys? Yeah, so I tend to think about that question in the context of implementation and then also regulation. So from an implementation point of view, it's been my observation that the most sophisticated tend to sit with, within alternatives, tend to sit in the private equity VC space because they have so much influence over their portfolio companies. If you consider a private equity firm and their day-to-day -day interaction, it's pretty high. Um, but also, they, they've gravitated towards the notion that ESG drives value, financial value and returns within a portfolio. And so, you know, that is a really compelling uh, kind of approach or application of ESG when you get this, um, you know, knock-on benefit of financial outcomes. Yeah. Now, if I think about kind of the other end of the spectrum and not to pick on them, but there's, there's some areas where it's really hard to implement. I mean, if you take a long short fund, for example, do, do you short the bad actors? Well, that's difficult from a financial return point of view because your only upside notionally is 100%. Yeah. Right, but you have unlimited downside. So, can you stay liquid for as long as it takes for the market to recognize that they're a bad actor from an ESG perspective? Mm -hmm. Probably not. So, when it comes to implementing an ESG strategy within the hedge fund space, that's that's somewhat more difficult yeah. than the natural, you know, private equity and how that would be applied. So, that's from an implementation perspective. From a regulatory perspective. Um, there's a wide gradient uh, in the EU. So if you consider real estate funds, mm -hmm. it's pretty straightforward from a categorization point of view and also an SFDR um, PAI perspective. It's only two core metrics, fairly easy to implement, right? But if you consider infrastructure, where does that sit? Under SFDR, there's no infrastructure asset class in the PAIs. So do you look to the Holdco level? where you're considering it a corporate, right? Or is it a real estate asset? And the case can be made for both, and that's really you know, circumstantial, yeah. but it's far more difficult, the, the application of SFDR for infrastructure, at least in that particular scenario. And so you have this, both the regulation and the industry where there's a gradient of sophistication. Yeah, it's, it's interesting hearing you talking about the different kind of aspects of alternatives, so private equity, hedge, hedge infra. 
I suppose if you were to look, I, I sometimes think and go, well, the guys who are doing, you know, renewable energy, green energy funds, they've got a clear advantage when it comes to, to, to selling, right? It's, it's, mm. it's green on the face of it, right? If you were to look and say, well, what are others doing, right? So, so guys who are in, you know, credit, how are they making their product more ESG friendly or more consumer friendly from that perspective? Yeah, so there, there's a bit of the tail wagging the dog here, right? Because now that you have a framework with respect to SFDR that sets, in some respects, some pretty clear guidelines of what a product gets categorized as, you all of a sudden have a, the ability to then apply that framework to an investment process, right? So if you consider... Um, an Article 9 fund, I'll use the most extreme, then you've got a, uh, your primary objective is environmental social, and then you've got this do no significant harm. Those two components right there inform an investment strategy. Now, it's, it's interesting, you know, with respect to credit, you had mentioned, um, there, there's certainly going to be some additional hoops to jump through especially private credit, where it's not always obvious, you know, your PAIs are yeah. getting the data. It's a lot different in terms of the dynamic as opposed to private equity, for example, yeah. which I, I mentioned. So um, you've, you've, got, uh, you've got a lot of opportunity, though, within these asset classes where you've, you've got two tailwinds. One tailwind is institutional demand, right? And the other is subject matter experts. It's usually a homogenous set of strategies, at least what the investment team is involved in. It's not like it's across public equities or something. So you've got these really smart, clever experts that say, okay, we've got demand, we want to uh, have an authentic approach to ESG. How do we do that within our asset class? Mm-hmm. And we've started to see the the industry respond to that. So you respond to that demand. Yeah, and you know it is interesting though because when you see a big driver in this is is investors, right? So mm-hmm. so investor demand. Uh, I, I'd say uh, certain certain managers would think, and I'll never touch ESG unless uh, I was wasn't going to lose investors over it, right? Right. So so, so what what are you seeing? Are you seeing the kind of a bit of a change in the investor space? It, you know, has it gone from beyond institutionals focused on ESG, or, or are we seeing kind of that kind of drive drive behaviors? Yeah. So when it comes to investors, um, I I tend to bucket two distinct uh, groups in there. That's the actual capital owner. That's the obvious mm-hmm. definition. The second is I'd also highlight it's uh, investment consultants. So having come from a global investment consultant, I can tell you that they have tooled up on this. You know, I was working with a team of, of really, really talented folks that 10 years ago really didn't exist, yeah. right? So they've tooled up, and investors, especially at the institutional level, mm. they um, have gotten really smart on it, um, especially as their stakeholders, say at a pension fund or endowment or foundation, are driving this agenda, really. you know. Um, so there's been quite a lot, or there's been a, a lot of tooling up, yeah. but 
uh, at least in the European Union context, there's also been legislative uh, initiatives that have driven transparency, mm -hmm. right? So SFDR, I mean, I, I'll give it credit, it certainly has driven transparency and allowed this kind of uh, comparison, apples to apples comparison yeah. of, okay, this is the categori categorization of a fund, so we can see if it reflects our values. Mm -hmm. The other, I guess, side of the broad investor landscape is looking at the retail side. Mm -hmm. So if we consider the likes of MIFID II that requires transparency, particularly around sustainability preference, yeah. SFDR also locks into that as well. Mm -hmm because you've got pre-contractual disclosures and, and periodic disclosures in all fairness that will tell that advisor that what the you know, sustainability, you know, ENS, et cetera, is or what they can expect. And so all of a sudden you can fit retail investors more closely to where their, their values are. If we zoom out a little bit though yeah. and look across the Atlantic, ESG has become very polarized, yeah. right? So you have some states where the pension funds aren't allowed to invest in ESG products. And then you have other states where they can only invest in what's narrowly defined as ESG. I think in the fullness of time, neither one's really right. Yeah, when you say narrowly defined as ESG, kind of practically, what's that mean? Yeah, so a uh, great question. I mean, the, the reality is that um, a lot of those ESG uh, edicts, mm. they're very politically driven and very tied to an ideology, right? So I'll give you an example. If, let's say, hypothetically, there is a fund that invested in uh, oil and gas exploration and production. Yeah at its face does not fit that politically tied ESG sort of definition. But if I were to also tell you that this fund has a track record of uh, replacing board members with driving innovation, so being very active within companies, yeah. and ultimately their goal was to reposition these energy companies mm -hmm. to clean energy and coming up with the likes of biofuels, yeah. that's totally different. And looking at the nuance instead of the label is really, I think, probably a better way to approach it. So what you end up with is something that is probably more aligned with your ESG values if you've got a manager that's going in and, and promoting yeah. change, yeah. right? Yeah. Absolutely. Like it, it sounds like so. there's a clear momentum, right? We've been talking about ESG a lot more in the last five years than we were in the last 10 years, right? So we're seeing yeah. investors, regulation, so on and so forth. If I'm a manager who isn't really bought into ESG, I'm going to be left behind, right? Uh, at some stage or another. So, so if I'm sitting in the bucket of guys who we know about ESG, we haven't really done anything about it, but we want to do something kind of blank page, like in your experience, and you've been on the other side of the fence, you've, you've mm -hmm. been there. How do you go about that? What's the kind of practical way that, that people should approach that? Yeah, I have a number of clients that sit in that exact territory, mm -hmm. you know, especially what I would characterize as somewhat smaller firms where it's a blank canvas. Mm -hmm. and, and to me, that's actually exciting because you have the latitude to innovate. 
particularly within your asset class in alternatives, that's really important because you want to have a very authentic approach to this. Otherwise, that those investors I was talking about, they'll smell it out yeah. and, and it won't be beneficial for any of the, the parties involved. So that being said, I mean, our typical approach is to start with ESG strategy. So where do you want to be? What do you believe? Where do you want to be? The second is ESG implementation. So, you know, for private equity, this can be uh, designing uh, an investment process and codifying that. For a hedge fund, it might be a technology-enabled solution that sits alongside their algos or whatever their approach is. And then the final part is um, ESG due diligence. So we uh, assist a lot of our clients with going in kind of the late stage of uh, private market acquisition, Mm -hmm. for example, uh, to look at it through that ESG lens. Now, that's all very consultant speak, right? This three-stage process. I think the true starting place is to be honest with both internally and externally when it comes to ESG. Like not everyone has to be an impact fund, um, but you're right, this journey or this demand is out there, right? So there's certainly a likelihood that you might get left behind. Um, You know, and a lot of that, what drives that is a firm's uh, culture and conduct. And so oftentimes those that come to us and engage us for these sort of advisory services, they're already reflecting it in large part in the culture of the firm and the conduct of the firm. I think there's lots of kind of good thoughts and ideas there for for people to unpack. I'm sure people will take a lot away from it. And I was probably close just by saying thanks to to Andrew for for his time today. I'd also like to thank everyone for tuning in. Uh, If you've got any questions on the content, feel free to reach out to to Andrew, to myself, or to your usual KPMG contact.